This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. It's early or it's late. You have a lot of items remaining on your to-do list. What is it that convinces you to continue on to get out of bed or possibly keep you from going to bed? What's the point? That's what we're talking about today in episode 81, Motivation. Special thanks to Sherwin-Williams for their generous support of today's episode. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we're going to discuss motivation. Do you have it? And if you don't have it, how do you get it? And is your motivation triggered by a sense of obligation or some sort of personal code of ethics? What about the stuff that you don't have to do, but the things that you think that you should do? And I think that's where we should start, Andrew. (laughs) All right. You know what? I'm going to be honest. I don't want to record this podcast right now. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I just got back from vacation like an hour ago. It's the last thing I want to do today. Well, you should be juiced up, but let's just, (laughs) for the record... It's 6.51 p.m. on a Friday night. Yes, it is. Yeah. That's what I call a dedication. I mean, yeah. I don't want to do it. But it's kind of what we do. And part of the reason we're doing it on this particular night is because normally we try to do it about two weeks out and we do it on a Tuesday. And you couldn't do it on a Tuesday. And then I couldn't do it on Wednesday or Thursday because we're both traveling. So this is the first day we could do it. Even though we're going to turn this episode around in like a week and change. Mm-hmm. Pretty quick. Which is going to be a grind because I go out of town tomorrow and I'm gone Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then I come in and I have, I'm going to be out of the office because I have family obligations that I have to do. Not fun ones either that are on Thursday, Friday. Yeah. Right? So. And then that Sunday is when it's out. Yeah, Sunday. That's when you'll be hearing it. Yes. But we do it. Or at least, I mean, maybe that's where we should start. Like, okay, Andrew, what's your motivation for volunteering, essentially, (laughs) to take on additional work and do this? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there's a sense of obligation, but I mean, I also feel like it's a way for me to give back to everybody, at least anybody that listens, and maybe they don't think they (laughs) listen. But but yeah, it's just doing extra. It's doing a little bit more than somebody else, whatever that may be. And granted, you're also my friend, so that helps some too. If I didn't like you, I would be sitting here. Yeah. 400 miles away recording this, but still. No. Look, believe me, I wonder that too. I go, God, why is he still here? Right? <laughs> I will also say I'm not the easiest person to work with. I mean, I'm super fun and nice, but I'm demanding and I like things being done a particular way and I like them being done on my calendar and not necessarily your calendar. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm a bully about it. I will concede that. I'm well aware of that, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> That's my secret in life. Well, you know, yeah, it's partly because if I did it, I don't know that anybody else would. That'd be really... <laughs> uh, hey, you know what? I get a lot of volunteers, buddy. <laughs> One of the guys that I'm friends with on Instagram, he goes, hey, you need to do more residential podcasts. And I was like, yeah, you know what? It went over pretty well. A lot of people like it, but I go, I can't do a ton of them because Andrew doesn't do a lot of residential work. And as a result, he doesn't have a ton to contribute. And it seems like a jerky thing to do to say, hey, we're going to talk about this again and you just pipe down over there. Yeah. And he's like, I am more than happy to step in and Andrew can go on nice. holiday. And I was like, that's nice. not really the message that. <laughs> <laughs> it 
what I'm hearing is I'm replaceable. That's the message I'm no, getting. No, what, you, what you you're hearing is that I'm replaceable. There's volunteers to give you a break. <laughs> and I go, but I go, I don't know you. At least I know you. I don't know him. Yeah. That kind of way. Me. So, you know, I get asked, actually, I had a lengthy conversation with a client just the last two days. A lot of people know that I write the blog and do the podcast, you know, and if they don't, when they do find out, they kind of cannonball in it for a while. And it's natural that people have a lot of questions. And the first question that comes up is, when do you have the time to do all this? And I go, you know what? I don't sleep a lot, number one. <laughs> and he was like, you know, how does this work? And how does that work? And how much time does it take? And people don't really realize, and I'll be the first one. I didn't realize that, say, the podcast takes as long as it does. I thought, yeah, talking's easy, man. Just going to talk, talk, and talk, and then hit stop on the record button and publish, be done. And it takes a lot longer to do a podcast than it does to write a blog post for sure. Yeah, but I think that's part of it is also the, I think there are a lot of podcasts that just go plunk and done. They don't edit as much as we do and those kind of things. And so, and not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just not our style. Or who knows? We, we're not editing it. You don't know. <laughs> no, we do edit. We take out ahs and ums and you knows. And when I say something that I go, wow, you know, I really wish I hadn't said that. I have control. I'll take care of that. I'll get rid of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, well, we sometimes we go down rabbit holes that we got to just totally ax out because we don't think you guys want to listen for four hours. <laughs> you know, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I talk about yeah. leprechauns probably more than I should. <laughs> I mean, they're so fascinating. See, that might get cut out. Maybe it won't. I don't know. You won't know unless we leave it in. Yeah. Damn it. Now we got to leave it in. Now we got to leave it in. Okay. Let's actually get back on point. So I have in here, like I write show notes to help me. It's like breadcrumbs to help have like a, a starting and ending point to the conversation. Yeah, we got to have some focus. Yeah, well, sometimes it works out great. And sometimes those rabbit holes are way more interesting. But that doesn't speak to the motivation. That's just kind of like, hey, sometimes we create work for ourselves because we have goals that we want to accomplish. And part of it is a sense of obligations. Sometimes it's a sense of giving back. And I will tell you that the blog and the podcast to a certain extent are business development opportunities for me. People come in and interview me for work and they feel like they already know me because they've been reading the blog for a couple of years or they're fans of the podcast. So there's definitely that level of motivation that keeps me doing it. I'm still waiting for those. <laughs> <laughs> I need to send some your way. But I will tell you when it's Friday night, like it is right now, 657, mm -hmm. I'm not feeling great because I go, well, eventually I'm going to get a job because of this. It's not how that works. It's not that yeah. linear. Yeah. So... I wrote down, how can I clarify motivation? And I wrote down that motivation is the ingredient that defines the difference between desire and will in the process of setting and obtaining goals. Motivation initiates, guides, and maintains goal-oriented behavior. And goal-oriented behavior is something that I spent a lot of time thinking about maybe seven, eight, nine years ago. And when I hit my early 40s is when I started thinking about my behavior and how it impacts what I want to accomplish, because you really got to have your act together if you're in your 20s and you're making life goals that are far reaching. I want to retire when I'm yeah. 55 years old. So it's going to motivate my behavior right now as a 24 year old. Yeah. That doesn't happen a lot. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen at all, but yeah. I don't know many 24 year olds that are acting like they've got it all figured out and they've got a roadmap to the rest of their life. Definitely when I was 24, that wasn't the things that were on my mind for sure. Well, I ended up writing a post once. Again, a lot of these posts I write is a benefit to myself to clarify my own thoughts on something. So I kind of determined that people tend to fall into three distinct categories. And you aren't necessarily locked into these roles, 
Most people tend to kind of evolve through them as they age and gain experience and confidence in the things that they're doing. So I will say like first level, like the, I don't want to say lowest because that implies that it's, how can I put this? The one that has the least value or the simplest or the easiest. And it's not that way. It's just how you are. And I have it as the task oriented individual. And again, the way I viewed it was that the task oriented person generally has lower level responsibilities. The idea is they're given a specific task to do, and that's the extent of it. It doesn't mean that the task is simple or that it's not important. It just means that the extent of responsibility is limited to accomplishing a part of a whole. That's kind of a task. In the field of architecture, some examples of tasks like that might be to draw the interior elevations or dimension a floor plan or fill out the window schedule. And these tasks do not extend the responsibility upward, meaning they're self-contained. I think that makes sense. I would say a task, well, if we're talking about task-oriented people or we're just talking about task-oriented work, but task-oriented work, it's got to start and a stop. There's a, a beginning and a finish. Yes. It's very clear and defined, I think. Yeah, and I think that it contributes to a, a larger whole. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's really important as part of that distinction because when you're out of school and maybe you don't know a ton of stuff yet or you just don't have the experience or in some cases maybe it's just the confidence to speak at length or you know execute those bigger overarching plans. They're saying, go do this, and when you're done with it, come back to me for the next thing. So the next level is results-oriented individuals. In my mind, the results-oriented person has more responsibility than the task-oriented person because they're the people who are in charge of achieving a set result and they have the responsibility of determining how to get there. That means they are in charge of the tasks and the tasks-oriented individuals. Mm -hmm. They're the project managers who are told the goal, like this project needs to be released for permitting in six weeks. And those project managers then go about the process of breaking the goal into tasks that can be distributed among team members. Mm -hmm. This is the group that's good at executing a plan to achieve the objective, the result. And the result is to have the drawing set go out in six weeks, that sort of thing. Yeah, they know what the result is supposed to be. And then they manage all of the tasks to make that happen. Yes. And so there's an evolution to this. I don't think that you can be a results, at least in our profession. I'm going to quit saying that because the whole context of part of what I'm saying is based on what I do for a living. <laughs> so yeah. even though a lot of it applies, I mean, this is not specific to architects, but the examples I'm giving are specific to architecture. But that's okay. It's an architecture podcast. There you go. <laughs> we can assume. Yeah, we can assume. But I don't think that you can be a results-oriented individual without first going through the tasks. Like in order for you to understand how to break up the results-oriented responsibility, you have to understand what the tasks are and what it takes to accomplish them so that you can identify them and then assign them to the right people. So it suggests an evolution. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think it's maybe possible to not have to do the tasks, or it could be that it's different tasks. I don't think it necessarily would have to be the same type of task as a results person that you're managing, but I agree for the most part that you're correct in that. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, that leads us to the third of my three siloed orientation, my classifications here. And the last one is mm -hmm. the goal-oriented individual. And that person does not get 
distracted by the process, but rather they focus on the big picture, which is what we're saying is the goal. Determining the big picture is what the best leaders do, but I still think you have to go through the process of collecting the skills and abilities to effectively lead. Again, I mean, I might be wrong, but I don't think that I am, but <laughs> it's the whole idea that you have tasks and then you evolve mm-hmm. into the results individual and then you evolve from the results individual into the goal individual because every step the picture gets bigger and you have less of the more drilled down responsibilities that you're accountable for right like i can draw millwork details as at level one i got you but level two is the one that says we need to draw these details and the goal person is we need to issue the drawings for this house so it's like there's like building up responsibilities that kind of falls along the way you need to understand the tasks and how they come together in a plan that fulfills the objective and how all the objectives come together to achieve the goal. There aren't any shortcuts. I mean, you may have the ability to move through these categories or one of the other ones more quickly than the others, but make no mistake, you do need to go through the process. Everyone has experienced that boss who micromanages things. And Like, is that ever brought up as a positive trait? <laughs> as you move yeah. from one to the next, you've got to have to abandon the one that you're leaving to a certain extent. I mean, I guess you could call that growth. There's a growth beyond the previous. You just have to allow it to happen so that you're not the micromanager of either the tasks or the results or whatever it is. Yeah. And so the reason why I brought up the whole task-oriented individual and the results-oriented individual, ultimately the goal individual, goes all the way back to the beginning is the motivation is what initiates, guides, and maintains those goal-oriented behaviors. Like you have to decide that's what I want to be in order to work yourself through a series of events to get to be the person that can decide what those goals are going to be, at least at a professional capacity. Yeah. And like you said earlier, everybody travels through those phases at different speeds. They're always still present in the process. Yeah. And you know what? I will also say that you're not any lesser of a successful individual if you don't migrate through all of them. I mean, we have people who are professional project managers. They're not responsible for determining firm direction. And should we go to this market silo? Should I open an office in another city? Like that's not their job. That's not their responsibility. They are not the goals oriented individuals as far as like firm development, project development happens. They don't move into that role. They can still be goal-oriented people, but maybe it's not just within their day-to-day tasks because maybe one of their goals is, I want to provide for my family. I want to send my kids to private school. I want to go on vacation every year to some faraway place. Yeah. And that motivates long-term behavior. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this. How much has your family and your kids motivated your behavior? (laughs) A lot. (laughs) Yeah. But in what way? It's a different motivation. It's a motivation to provide. It's about wanting to provide better. I want them to have even just a better childhood than I had, right? Not that mine was terrible and I grew up in a terrible place, but just to be able to provide them with things that I didn't have. And so there's motivation in that. And then also to try to set an example as a type of person to be. I mean, that's maybe a different type of motivation, but still a motivation. Yeah. Well, I don't want to hang my hat on the whole tasks and results oriented as a, an example of the only thing that motivates you. Cause I will tell you money is a huge motivator. 
for most people. Yeah. And if you were to say, I'm an architect, let's just say, I'm an architect. How do I get more money? Like, what are the things I need to do to get paid more? Yeah. And getting paid more, that's a goal. That's goal-oriented thinking. So you go, Mm -hmm. how do I get more money? Well, you can't just ask for it because why would somebody pay you more? You have to do something to get it. Yeah. So making more money certainly motivates people's behavior. Motivates mine. I mean, I'll say that. I changed jobs. I was motivated to change jobs at various points in my life Yeah. because I wanted to make more money. Yeah. It wasn't always because I wanted to work on different project types. Yeah. My big motivation for me is always just to try to do things to even see if I can do it. Can I push myself far enough to get that done? It doesn't necessarily mean about money, but if I was going after larger projects or trying to do things better or faster or whatever it was, it was always about, can I push myself more? to get that done. Can we do that? Can I set some ridiculous goal and and can I make it? Or can I go after some insane project for my little office and can I get it and can I do it? Those kinds of things. I think it was always, or that is always something that sort of pushes me. It's just like this internal drive. I want to do more. I want to see how far I can do it. (laughs) Sometimes that does mean not as much sleep as I should be getting probably, but I'll make up for it at some point. (laughs) Yes. So I agree with that. You know, I kind of chalk that up to competitive personality behavior. If I put it in a very simple term, when I first started writing the blog site, I wrote down so many numbers. The amount of data that I recorded and collected and kept track of. Oh, that you just hand wrote and you kept track of? Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And part of it was I was just looking for patterns. I'm a pattern oriented individual and I wanted to know like what worked better than this? Is this time better than that time? Do people like these sorts of topics? I mean just kind of keeping track of that stuff and while I don't think that's crazy, I think the level at which I paid attention to it at times was definitely crazy, but it yielded results that are hard to argue with. But I will tell you that part of that behavior that motivated me is I would go, can I make this Monday better than last Monday? Can I make this week better than last week? This month better than last month? I mean, there were, and I wasn't competing against other people. I was competing against myself. And so I was motivated to improve things. Can I make my graphics better? Can I make my writing more sensible? Can I make it more personable? I've written a few articles about, I don't even know how to describe it, because if I say it the way it kind of is, it makes me want to barf. But <laughs> I don't consider myself a writer. And a lot of people say, oh, that I'm good at writing. And I go, I'm not good at writing. What I'm good at is writing as if I'm talking. Mm-hmm. And so when people read it, it's like they can hear me. They know when I'm pausing and when I'm side talking and when I have thought in my head. And it it took me a while, an effort, like considered effort to make that happen. But I was motivated because it's how I personalized what I was doing. I thought in those early days that that was important to me because I couldn't pull off the, look how smart I am all the time. And that's why you should listen to me. I wanted you to (laughs) listen to me because you liked what I had to say. You liked the way that I presented it. That was what my motivation was. It's very conversational text. And for me, that's difficult because like I write and other things and I, I have to make myself not write in that conversational tone when I'm writing for magazines and things that get published. They don't want that, right? And so when I write blog posts, I struggle sometimes because I have to go back and rewrite things and be like, no, this is not a, this is not a lecture post. This is a conversation we're supposed to be having. You know, I quit writing those kind of posts because I go, it's not what I do. I just, as hard or as easy, whatever that means on a scale of 
easy to hard. Wherever it falls <laughs> for me to write a blog post, it's super easy compared to me writing a non-blog post article. Mm -hmm. It's agony. It's absolute agony for me. <laughs> you know, the whole introductory sentence, three statements, summarizing conclusion. Yeah. I, the structured stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. That's not who I am. I can't do it. Yeah. And I tried to be that person for a couple of years in the beginning. And people were like, oh, I love what you do on the blog site. I love it. We want you to write for us. And I'm like, okay, sure. Because mm -hmm. back then I said yes to everything. Mm -hmm. And then they would get and they're like, well, you know, well, this is not really what we were, <laughs> you know, could you, could you, or they would editorialize yeah. it so much. I go, well, that's not me anymore. This is not the pros that we were expecting. <laughs> like, yeah. And I was you like, read well, my site? Yeah. I thought, this is what I do. I can't do that. And they're like, yeah. well, you know, and they, nobody said it was garbage. But I will say that I wrote an article for Texas Architect, the magazine. Yeah. And the editor at the time basically rewrote the whole thing. And I was actually <laughs> really mad. Oh, yeah. I was like, I want to say, screw you. Like, just don't publish it because that's not me. And I don't want to have my name on something. That's funny. That's not me. And I'm not that person. Yeah. And it, maybe it had the exact, they're like, hey, we're, we're looking out for you. Like, we're making you sound better. And I was like, dude, I've already got 500 articles on my website. People know who I am. Yeah. I don't need to pretend to be something I'm not. Yeah. So if we circle this back to motivation. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> well, you know, it has to do with the amount of time and effort you put into something so that it's genuine. That's that's a motivation for me. Yeah. I spend more time writing blog posts in a certain way because I want them to come across as genuine. I don't know if people know this, but if you hover your mouse over a photo, a little pop-up box will show up. And it'll kind of say something about that photo. I write stupid stuff on purpose in those all the time <laughs> as like a Easter egg. Yeah. As a reward for someone who wants to take the time to hover their mouse above that photo. Yeah. That's I don't do it on every photo, but, you know, and I go, yes, it takes me more time to do that sort of stuff. But I'm motivated to do it because I want to make it more pleasurable, a reward for the person who's giving me some of their time to read what I wrote. Mm-hmm. More from Life of an Architect in just a moment. Andrew and I are joined today by Kara Baldev, National Architectural Manager for Coil and Extrusion Coatings with Sherwin-Williams. Hey, Kara, thanks for coming back on the show with us. This is the second time you've come on. Great. Great to be here again. Well, we're happy to have you here. And today, we're talking about something new. We're talking about the new two-coat mica system, the Floripond Continuum. So I would like to ask you, just right out of the gate, what are coil and extrusion coatings? And can you explain how the Sherwin-Williams Coil Coatings Group is different from interior coatings? Biggest difference is that the Sherwin-Williams Coil Group focuses only on factory-applied, baked-on liquid finishes for metal building products. You might also be familiar with our flagship Floripon 70% PVDF. This was once under the Valspar brand. Four years ago, Valspar was purchased by Sherwin-Williams, and our group is able to offer new capabilities to the ever-growing Sherwin-Williams library of coatings. Nice. While still maintaining the quality and ingenuity of the products we've been producing for over 55 years. This coil coating segment specifically focuses on factory applied coil and extrusion finishes used for curtain walls, louvers, metal facade and roof panels. We are providing coatings for your favorite manufacturers such as Centria, Morin, Apollock, 
and spray applying those coatings to extrusions for curtain wall systems from companies like Old Castle and Conair. You mentioned a lot of different metal building components. How can metal coatings be incorporated into a design? Well, think for a minute about most airports, stadiums, and towers over 20 stories. There's usually a glimmer of metal or steel reflecting off the sun, and usually our minds might inherently think of silver or white. Our segment helps architects realize their vision for the design of the building envelope. As a coatings company producing Floripon for over 55 years, we have developed over 50,000 colors and can create aesthetics that are anywhere from matte black to a prismatic that shifts in color from pink to green, depending on your orientation to the building. Based on some things that I just heard, I heard glimmer and sparkle. There's a new product in the market called Floripon Continuum, which is what we're talking about, that's really brought this aesthetic to the next level. Can you elaborate on that for us? Sure. Floripon Continuum is an exciting new product. We spent several years perfecting our proprietary two-coat mica-based system. There's this inherent myth that in order to get that high-definition appearance, you need three coats. This might be true if you're using aluminum flake or you have to protect it from oxidizing or need a crazy prismatic look. But with our proprietary mica-based pigments, you can get that sparkle in two coats that can actually outperform the traditional three. Nice. Prior to launching Continuum, we reviewed decades of weathering data at our test fence in Florida to make sure our coatings are formulated to withstand the harshest conditions. This system eliminates that need for the clear coat and offers nearly limitless color options. We aren't limited to silvers here. We have a color called Snake Eyes, which is a green mica, <laughs> and others called Solar Flare and Eternal Flame, if that gives you a visual of how bright we can get in this category. Wow. Good names, too. <laughs> yeah, I know. Those are awesome. We got creative. <laughs> Even in these color ranges, we're so confident in the performance of Floripon Continuum, we've actually increased the warranty by five years for color, chalk, fade, and film integrity. Sounds great. So what questions can architects ask to make sure that we're getting the right exterior coating? As an architect... I recommend starting the project with that color idea. Visualize what you want that aesthetic to be. Recognize that pigmentation and the substrate impacts the design of your building. In order to ensure you're getting the aesthetic that you want, don't leave color TBD on that finished schedule or specification. We can help align the design and budget correctly to meet these needs, as well as coordinate color codes and applications across multiple manufacturers and building products. Be aware of the project's location. Does it require special treatment for salt spray, corrosion resistance? If you're working on a lead project or need HPDs or red list free products, we can help you there as well. Don't worry about coordinating all of this on your own. We have a team that can assist and over 10,000 stock samples ready to go out the door. Wonderful. For help in getting the answer to these sorts of questions and for information or to order your own color samples, please visit coil.sherwin.com forward slash continuum. Hey, Kara, thanks for chatting with us today. Super appreciate the time and looking forward to taking a look at the Continuum Coil Coatings myself. Great. All right. Thanks, Kara. Take care. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you. Even though it was a long way around, so we talked about my family. My kids motivating me. So, I mean, do you think the same thing? Your daughter motivate you in certain ways? 
it's kind of interesting. I like what I do. I like my job. I liked my last job to a certain extent. Like I like the actual job. I, I had a moment when I decided this is not the place for me to end my professional career at. When I kind of mentally got to that point, I was faced with the decision, should I go out on my own? And evidence would suggest that, yes, I could have gone out on my own. Like what I was able to accomplish at that firm and what I've been able to accomplish at my new firm, as far as like getting work and doing work and all that kind of stuff. Yes, things probably would have been pretty good. However, I felt this sense of obligation to my family. Like, what if it doesn't go well? Now all of a sudden, I'm putting burdens on my wife. Maybe my daughter doesn't get to continue going to the school that she goes to. And I felt a sense of obligation. So yeah, me making the change in the manner at which I did it was absolutely motivated by my family and a sense of responsibility to them. There's no doubt that that was a big part of it. Yeah, and maybe a little bit of risk aversion. I think you're a little risk averse in that regard. I am. I think that's because of your family. Yeah. That's why. And I understand that, right? I mean, I was freaking out not that long ago because I thought I might not still have a teaching job and didn't know what I was going to do. So, yeah, I get it. Yeah, COVID was hard on teachers. Freaks everybody out. I mean, I am risk averse to a certain extent, but if it was just me, I probably would have done it. I don't think I would have that same level of aversion quite honestly. Yeah, I could see that. You know, because there's things that I'm willing to do to see if I could make that work. I'm not willing to say that those other two people in my life have to carry part of that burden yeah. for me. And you know what? I know my wife said she was willing to do it. She goes, this is what you need to do. This is something you want to do. Go do it. I support you on this. Yeah. And I went, you say that, <laughs> but no, I don't mean like you say that, but you don't mean it. She did yeah. mean it. No. Like you say it, but it's not going to change my behavior. Yeah. I'm still going to feel it, that sense of responsibility. Oh, yeah. So, it's yeah. a big one. It's a big one for sure, being out on your own. Yeah. And when you're 24 years old right out of school, obviously, that's probably not a huge sense of motivation for folks. Which I think maybe leads us back to this idea of when I was looking up some stuff on motivation, there are apparently four types of motivation, but the two that stick with me the most are extrinsic, which are from an external source, and intrinsic, which are from an internal source. So you've got internal and external motivators, right? I think we kind of talked about both of those a little bit, but you know, one is money and there are other things like your boss or something else. We talked about the idea of striving to get your fellowship. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's external. I mean, it's probably both that takes some internal motivation as well. But then me talking about pushing myself is kind of an internal thing. I don't know if there's other ways we could approach that and, and talk about what those external and internal sources are. Well, how would you Based on your prep work, I looked it up. I actually wrote a post on so when I searched my own website for keyword motivation. One of the <laughs> things that came up was I think I was in my mid-30s and I decided that I wanted to become a fellow in the AIA. And so how mm -hmm. do I need to make that happen? So I went and I set a meeting. I went and talked to the executive director of the Dallas AIA and I said, I want this to happen. What do I need to do? And her advice was super short and simple. She's like, well, you need to start doing something, <laughs> you know? <laughs> You need to get involved. You need to say yes. Yeah. And you need to do it at the city level. Yeah. At the state level and at the national level, right? You can't just do it at one. You, you got to agree. You got to say yes. You got to get involved. You have to do things, make a difference. Yeah. And so all those little committees that I signed up for and I contributed, and I don't think there was a committee at the Dallas AIA that I didn't chair at one point or another because I was like, I'm going to do it all. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, I did not love all of them. <laughs> In fact, 
Dallas AI used to have this event. It was called the Gala, which doesn't exist anymore. And it's basically, it was a black tie event. And it was the biggest fundraiser that the chapter put on every year. And I got asked to run it. And I'm like, I don't know anything about running big parties. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, you'll do fine. You'll do great. And it took like a year. I started sitting in on all the meetings for that year's gala event so I can understand all the moving parts. And then I had to go through the act of building the team and coming up with all the things that we were going to do and the graphics and the videos. and the I mean, it was so much stuff that I knew absolutely nothing about. And I hated every minute of it. Hated it. But I will tell you, the night that we had it, it went off and it was awesome. And I was so proud of myself and I was so proud of the people that had worked on that and had achieved this. It was the most successful gala that they'd ever done, which now they do things that blow what I did out of the water. But yeah, at that moment, in that moment of time, all right, it did really, really well. And I was super proud of myself for what I'd accomplished. And what was nice is all the people that worked on it, they took a photo of Superman and they superimposed my head on the body <laughs> and they all signed it. Yeah. That was really touching. I was really proud of seeing it through and getting it done. And my motivations were I wanted to get fellows. So that meant saying yes and getting involved. But, and this is crude, I was motivated to not have this thing suck. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It didn't want to be associated with something that was crappy, right? Yeah. My motivation to not embarrass myself is very high. (laughs) That is a huge motivator for me. That aspect of not sucking and not embarrassing yourself through poor effort or poor product permeates literally everything I do to this day. Poor results, right? Yeah. It's a huge, huge motivator for me. I think part of that, I'm involved in a lot of stuff with the AIA at the local and state level. I haven't gotten to the national level yet, but you know, it's part of the things I want to do in the near future. And again, it's maybe because that's where I want to end up is with a nice F as well at some point, but mine's going to take me a little bit longer, it seems like, to get there than our esteemed host here. But Well, you never know. That's not the only reason, but I mean, there's a lot of things about that that I enjoy. Again, it's that internal motivator of there's a goal out there somewhere that I'd like to reach at some point. Yeah. Well, part of it is you say yes, because it's part of a plan to have a goal. It motivates you to achieve the goal. The fact that you have fun along the way, that's just a nice bonus. A lot of times. Right. Yeah. That is a bonus. Exactly. Well, I'm about to say an incendiary comment, which might make a lot of young people really mad, but I went, it kind of ties into the topic of motivation to a certain extent, but I feel compelled to bring this up. And I wouldn't be surprised if some people go, I'm out forever as a result of (laughs) what I'm about to say. Are you going to blow us up right here? Episode 81. We're done. Sorry. Yeah, there won't be an 82 after this. It really shouldn't be that bad. And the truth is, I don't think what I'm going to say should come as shocking. If you feel so profoundly that I'm out of bounds on this, I'm like, you know what? You probably shouldn't listen because I don't know how to back off of this. How I say it is the thing that will make the difference between people staying aboard or leaving. But I'm going to say, if you're motivated to experience success in your career, you are not going to have work-life balance. There it is. I said it. Yeah. That's a hot topic, Mm. right? Yeah. And I'm not sure how I want to present this, but I hear it a lot. I see a ton of Instagram posts that talk about work-life balance. I see TikTok videos talking about the importance of work-life balance and on and on and on. And I didn't mean that like, you know, like they're drunk, but I mean, just 
it's profound. It's out there a lot. It's a really important topic to a lot of people that are fairly freshly minted from school. You know, and I get it. And I want to go on record to say that I absolutely agree that finding balance in your life is important. I want you to be happy. I want you to work on your mental and your physical well-being. They're important. These things matter. And I'm going to acknowledge that you should do them. You should pay attention to them. But please realize that all the good things that come from working your ass off are less likely to happen for you. Nobody continues to receive raises and promotions by doing what is expected of you. And I only bring it up because professional growth and making a bigger salary are huge motivations for people. People want to be recognized for doing a good job. And how do you get recognized? Well, you get promoted. But the reason you get promoted is because you're doing that job, right? If I'm hiring you to do A and all you do is A, why would I make you do B, right? You get B because you start doing B while you're still an A. And then you get promoted to be a B. And then how do you become a C? Well, you start doing what C does. I mean, this is the evolution of promotions. Nobody keeps getting promoted because the one thing they do, that's all they do. And at a certain point, you don't keep getting raises for doing what you're supposed to be doing. And doing what you're supposed to be doing is like working 40 hours professionally. Like we hire people to do a job and spend 40 hours a week on it. And if that's all you do, honestly, tell me why do you think that you're worth even more money and you're worth promotions? And that's not an architecture thing. That's a life thing. That's in every business that exists that's professional. Yeah, that's going to be hot button. A little bit. And do you think I'm wrong? No, I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. Although I think it's possible and maybe not in 40. I can't think of a time I've ever, well, maybe right now where I'm pseudo unemployed that I'm working 40 hours a week. I don't think there's been ever a time that I've worked 40 hours a week ever. But I don't even know if like if you're a rock star in those 40 hours a week, if you could still do it. That's what I'm curious about, where that might be possible. But I don't know if it is. If you're doing everything you can and you're killing it in 40 hours a week, but as soon as the clock turns five, you're punching out and going home. I think that would be hard. You might get there, but it's going to take you longer than if you were putting in a little bit of extra effort. I hate to be that kind of person because I think as architects, I think we probably work too much anyway. Yeah, I agree with that. Just in our day jobs, right? I'm not talking about you and me work a lot, but it's different. Right. It's not work work. That's a different thing. And I think that in my mind, again, we've talked about it several times. That comes later. That comes with being later along in your career that you just have those things happen. But I think you can have work-life balance, but it's not going to be 50-50. Yeah. That's not, the, yeah. that's not the goal that you can look for. And really, I think, excel and reach those goals quicker, faster, stronger, all those things. It's just not going to happen. Right. Well, I think that's the distinction that I think is really important to make. I don't think you should, and I would hope that you don't, get punished for doing what you're supposed to be doing. But to that same extent, you shouldn't expect to be rewarded for doing what you're supposed to be doing. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I mean, I pay you to do task A, whatever that is, and you do task A, but that's it. So yeah, what's above and beyond that that maybe deserves above and beyond what you are already getting? Yeah. Unless you start to do A better and faster than everything else. But at that time, I still think there's more involved in that. Yeah. You take on more responsibility. Yeah. And with more responsibility, to a certain extent, comes a little more inconvenience. Yeah, true. Like I went out of town. I was out of town, flew back into town on Monday. I was here Monday. And then on Monday afternoon, I learned that I needed to go out of town on Wednesday. Wasn't playing. I didn't love it. It wasn't a trip that I was like, yay, I love traveling to go do this one thing. Mm -hmm. And I left on Tuesday, got home Thursday night. 
And I got sent because of the role that I have and they needed me to do something. And I couldn't say, no, not going to do it because you didn't give me enough notice and it's going to take more. Yeah. I mean, that, those kind of things. It was inconvenience. And I will say that part of the reason I think this is incendiary is because I, at least I have a support behind me. I have a wife and daughter that allow me to say yes in those moments and take on that additional responsibility because where I am slacking on the lack of balance in work life and I'm leaning more on the work side, I have people that help me on the life side. And that's the thing that makes me temper my position on folks that really push hard to have work-life balance. And it's because they don't have somebody to help them currently achieve the balance of the life part. So they have to take it for themselves. It's not even just, hey, I want to go like just watch TV. I want to turn my brain off, watch TV. We're not even talking about that. Some of it's just like, I need to clean my house or my apartment. I need to go buy groceries. I got to do laundry. I want to go meet the love of my life somewhere. Those are reasonable things. Everybody should get to do it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying straight up doing what you're supposed to do won't help you achieve these goals. And so your motivation is what pushes you to do more than what's expected of you. That's a big part of what I think about when I think about motivation. Part of me would say that those things are actually, and this may be another hot thing, those are more important in the earlier years of your career, I think. Yes. Maybe that's just because I feel like I've known some people that they've done a lot when they were really young, right out of school or early in their profession, and they're still kind of riding those laurels. They're not doing as much anymore, but yeah, they rose up really fast and then it gave them that notoriety or whatever you want to call it to move up. Then they... Mm-hmm. Maybe you realize they weren't quite ready for it, but they're still riding those things. Or at least they're coasting Yeah, at this point because they've kind of, you know what? I agree with you 100% on that. 100% agree. Sometimes I go, well, that's the nature of it. It's like the compound value of you busting yourself mm-hmm. up when you're younger. You get the reward down the road because of what's happening. And if you don't put the time in early, well, when are you going to put the time in? Yeah. When do you make that difference? So it's just a little easier to do it when you're younger and you don't have as many life obligations on you, I think. So I think it's right that it's earlier in your career where you really, in my opinion, you have the freedom to do that. In my 20s, work balance didn't mean anything because it was like work and that was it. Like I didn't have anything else to juggle. It seemed like it's easier to maybe put in, and I'm not trying to overstep that your life is easy as a youngster, but got a little bit more freedom to do that extra stuff and put in a little bit more time because there's not other things tugging at you just yet. So we have a young woman in our office, Miranda. She's one year out of school and she's plowing through all her licensing exams right now. And, you know, she gets here early and she doesn't stay particularly late, but I know 100% if I asked her to do something and it required her to work more, she would do it. But currently, she's getting her stuff done when she needs to get done. Mm-hmm. And I can guarantee you, I am not punishing her for that. But you know what she's doing with all that time that she's not being asked to take on additional work responsibilities? Studying for the exam. She studies for these tests during her lunch break. She goes home and she studies for these exams and she is mowing them through. And I guarantee you, she's absolutely a goal-oriented person. And she's got a goal. She hasn't told me this, but I bet her goal is, I want to be licensed by this year. Like I'm this old and I want to be done by that time. And it motivates her behavior in a way that there's certainly some sacrifice that she's putting in to get it done. She's not stretching out. She's not starting when she's 30. She's like, I'm motivated. I'm getting it done. Like some of us. And she is. Yeah. I don't want to think about it. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think that's the thing too. Your free time is still a chance to grow and improve and be motivated. Yeah. And to volunteer for committees and other things that are you saying yes to things that aren't sitting on your couch and yeah. watching Netflix, <laughs> which you know what? Not underrated. I love sitting on my couch watching Netflix. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not talking trash no. about that. I love it when I get to do it. When I have the time to be able to do that, I enjoy it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to wrap it up by just saying that, obviously, this is in my opinion, but <laughs> motivation is the thing that drives you to achieve success and to reach your goals and to better yourself. And anything that's worth doing is going to be hard. And there's going to be times when you really don't want to make the necessary sacrifices. And I can tell you that regardless of your own goals, it's going to require you to actually do something. And for some percentage of that time that you're working towards that goal, you probably aren't going to want to do it. Yeah, you're not going to be happy. Yeah, you're not going to love it. But that's why you set goals to help motivate you towards achieving something amazing. Because if your goal is, I'm going to study for my ARE for two hours today, that's not the goal. That's the task. The goal is, I'm going to be a licensed architect. So when you don't want to study because you want to go out and party with your friends or whatever, and you decide not to do that because you want to achieve the goal of passing the licensing exam, that's what motivates you. That's the thing that keeps you at the desk when you don't want to do it. And I'm just using passing the exam as an example. It could be anything. I want to get promoted. I want to get a raise. I want a corner office. Whatever you want to do. I want to, I want to publish this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. I want to get this podcast out on the day that I said it, put it out. Yeah. All the things that motivate what you got to do. Yeah. So, all right. I am motivated to move on to this episode's Would You Rather. Such segue. <laughs> Such segue. <laughs> well, I will tell you that... I feel like I'm doing this more and more often. Like, I'm not telling you what the question is. Yeah, I know. It's okay. I'm getting used to it. Just springing them on you. I mean, that's how we used to do the hypotheticals, too. So it's fine. It's all right. Yeah. Well, a lot of times I put them in the run sheet and you just don't look at the run sheet. <sighs> that's part of it. But that's not this. It's because you don't share it. Well, I don't share my run sheet because I don't want you to know what <laughs> I'm going to do. I want it to be an organic conversation. But here's this one. I think we have a good would you rather. All right. I don't know what you're going to... I know there's a right answer, obviously. <laughs> there's definitely a right okay, answer. You just don't know if I'm going to choose it. Is what I don't know do. what you're going to choose. So All this right. is why I'm excited for this one. So it's very, very simple. And you could end up going, well, let's put some ground rules to this. Let's get some parameters to it. Right out of the gate. Here it is. Are you ready? Yes. Would you rather live in a cave or in a treehouse? Boom. There you go. To me, this one's pretty easy. Mm, let's see if it's easy. So I, it could be a problem, but it's pretty easy to me. I would rather live in a treehouse. I knew you were going to say that. It's wrong. That is 100% the wrong answer if you failed. <laughs> Man, I watched the like, treehouse building shows on TV. There's this one guy, I can't remember, but he builds all these treehouses all over there. I know. I know the show. I had a kid. We watched it. Yeah. And I'd love that show. If I could live in a treehouse like that, then yeah. Or like Robinson Crusoe, <laughs> that kind of treehouse. A treehouse, for sure. There's more protection in a cave, I guess. But to me, treehouse, just that'd be great. I'd love it. I'd love it. Okay. So there are some rules that we should inherently just, I would have just assumed. It's not like you live in a house that's in a tree, which I know by definition is a treehouse. Yes. But I'm not living in a cave that has a house in it. Yes. I'm not building a house that just happens to be inside of a cave because then yeah. it's just a house. Yeah. 
So when I think of Treehouse, I'm thinking like the fort that you would have, like Robinson Crusoe. Yeah, like a treehouse. A conglomeration of things put together to build shelter inside of a tree or within the branches of a tree. And yes, not a house in a tree. Yeah. Not a house that just is put in a tree. So I'm going to choose cave just because you chose treehouse. <sighs> Actually, that was my bit. Yeah. I'm not convinced it's the right answer either. Because here's what I was thinking. The problem with the treehouse, number one, is monkeys, right? Monkeys are going to be all up in your business. <laughs> well, it depends where my treehouse is at. No, no, there's <laughs> monkeys. I'm telling you right now. There's monkeys. Okay. If there's not monkeys, there's going to be ants. You know, there's going to be- birds. Yes, yeah. all that stuff. And they're just going to be messing up all your stuff. And you go, yeah, but if you have a cave, bear. Bear. That's what I was thinking. Bear. but Or mountain lion or cougar or something. Wolf. Yeah. Whatever. All that sounds terrible, right? But yeah. fire. I can have a fire in a cave. True. You're not building a fire in a treehouse. Nope. Not really. So you might be a little chilly. If it's windy, you're up there swinging around. What if it's raining, right? Well, that's okay. If it's raining, your cave floods. And your cave is always going to be cold. If it's like 40 degrees outside, it's like 10 degrees inside your cave. But I fire. I build a fire. Oh, you got to build a fire and smoke yourself to death because it's not going anywhere if it's raining. There's a big hole in the cave, obviously. Oh, it's where God. the door into the cave is. <laughs> You're assuming the smoke is going to go out that way. Well, okay. So how big of a cave am I in? Am I, in? I don't know. That's the question. Do I have to crawl into a fetal position to enter my cave? Is it that small? No, no. I'm assuming it's a fair size cave, you know. Maybe a thousand square foot cave. I mean, something big. Yeah. Like a woolly mammoth moved out of the cave that yeah. I now live in. Yeah. yeah. Like a family of giant bears. And I'm thinking that I could build a fire just inside to where rain's not going to get on it, but it's close enough to the opening that. Uh, maybe. Maybe. But then you have still have to get sit next to it. And I can cook food in my cave over my fire. Yeah, it's true. You're chewing on roots. You're just eating nothing but- No, because I could go down to the ground and cook on the ground. Oh, you can't. You live in a tree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never allowed- to, Once I'm in the treehouse, I'm never allowed to touch the ground again. Is that what it is? Right. You have to set- no. You have to set traps for birds and monkeys so that you can eat, <laughs> which also means you're living in a fruit tree, yeah, right? Because like otherwise- a banana tree or something. You're going to get scurvy. Yeah. No. no, that's not true, because I would get scurvy, too, because I don't have any. Yeah, yeah, so you can leave your tree, clearly. You can leave your tree yeah, and so. go to the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like it'd be harder to, I think it would be easier to make modifications, is the word, to the tree environment. Because I'm in the cave, what are you doing? You got rocks, and that's how you're going to make stuff? No, no, no. I can build all the same stuff in my cave that you could build in your treehouse. Maybe. Depends where your cave is. What if your cave and there's no trees around? What are you building with? Where, where is that? It's a volcanic cave. I, I don't know. It's a <laughs> desert cave. That would be terrible. <laughs> I'm thinking like the kind of cave that you see in far side cartoons with cavemen in it. That's the kind of cave yeah. I'm thinking. I don't know. I still think, I, I don't know. I just feel like the cave would be too, and even though I like dark places, I just feel like it would be too dark and like damp and lightning it just feel weird yeah it'd be maybe be smoked i'd get struck by lightning yeah you're gonna you're in your tree really all i have to worry about is big mammals true i'm not worried about snakes because it'd be too big for snakes well no they'd just go live in some corner somewhere yeah i'm not living in the i'm in the middle there'd be snakes in there there'd be scorpions in there no because i'm kicking them out right walking around with my torch you can't walk around with the torch 
All right, I forgot. You've definitely chosen the right. I can't, <laughs> I can't argue against it. Uh, no, you know what? Of course, there's going to be snakes, but we're going to be buddies, right? I'm going to let them be where they got to be. They're not going to be out in the middle, which is where I'm going to be. No, they're not. They're going to be in the edges and the cracks and the crevices and stuff. And yes, if you light your fire, they're not going to bother you. And if you do, you can just pss, yeah, bats. Yeah, I might. Maybe there's bat issues. Ooh, that would be the worst, though, if it was bats and then you just smell like guano all day long. I mean, it is a big cave, so I guess that could be a possibility. But then you could burn it. But if I'm making, yeah, burning fires, they're not going to like that. Yeah. Eventually they would leave. They wouldn't like that. Or they'd bite you. Bats don't bite people. <laughs> in this imaginary yeah. world that we're living in, I think that they do. I think I can say that they do. If I can't climb out of my tree, then bats can bite you. Yeah. If you've got monkeys, I've got bats, right? That's, exactly. Okay. That's Wherever fair. Wherever you are. That's fair. All right. So just, I think the fire alone makes the cave the right answer. I mm, I don't know. You're up there cold. Oh, it's so cold. And the wind's blowing in my treehouse, which is really like a fort. There's no windows. No. I can make a great treehouse. She didn't put any rules on it other than it was not a house, but it doesn't mean I can't make it like a house. Okay, but you feel like I can make a really good fort. But you can't. There's no glass. You can't put glass up there. You can only build it with tree parts in your treehouse. Uh, okay, fine. Like, you know, Robinson Crusoe. I'll give you the Robinson Crusoe type treehouse, okay. right? Still, yes. But if I live in the tropics, I'm not going to get cold anyway because apparently I've got monkeys, so I have to be in the tropics. So I'm not really going to get that cold. Okay. But the fire would be an issue. Fire's an issue, for sure. I just have to climb down. Yeah. All right. I'll give you that. Beat the monkeys away from me and, and cook my food down there on the ground. It could be, well, you know, if there are monkeys, they, they go up into the trees. They're going to be yeah taking all your stuff. They would be. Taunting you. Stealing all my trinkets. Yes. Any shiny baubles you have, they will take. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think the worst in either one of these scenarios is waking up in the middle of the night and there's something in your cave or in your treehouse. Yeah. That'd be the worst. Snuggled up to you for warmth. <laughs> yeah. Or just ready to eat you. Either way. Yeah, but if you got that in both of them, then it's a equal. So it's not a pro or con for either cave or tree. No, I don't think it's for either one. I just think that's the worst thing to think about. I mean, not even fire or anything like that, but waking up and there's something sort of, some creature looming over me. Okay. That I, with my sound and reasonable arguments, get you to lean a little towards cave might be the better answer. A little bit, didn't I? No. Yes. <laughs> You're just saying that out of spite. I am. Yes. No. The treehouse is fine. All right. All right. We'll see. Yeah. I don't know. I, uh, it's hard to say. I can. You might have won me over to cave. There might be some benefits to cave. I just don't like. Here's something else. I could just walk into my cave. You got to like rope climb up into That's your treehouse. That's true. Right? Yeah. That sounds like a drag. You get better views. Yeah. Unless my cave is on the side of a mountain, like a Bond villain house <laughs> cave. Yeah. Depends on where the cave is. Yeah. I still think, I think cave might be the way to go. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Because again, there's both pros and cons to the elements in each one. What if your cave is facing like north? You're never going to get any really good light. I walk outside my cave. Yeah, but you're still not going to get like good sunlight. You're just going to get sort of northern light, which is, unless you're in the southern hemisphere. But anyway, we're not going to go that far, but it's that kind of stuff. You know, the thing that really does it for me, and then we'll wrap it up and say mm -hmm. that the cave was the winner, was <laughs> was the ants. I think that you're going to have ants in the tree. Like, that's a strong, and I don't like ants. You're going to have ants in a cave? Why do you no, not they think don't you're want... going to have ants in a cave? I just, I don't know. 
ants and cave doesn't go together, but tree ants? Oh my god. Yeah, trees and ants is true. For sure. Although I think there's worse bugs in a cave. Like bigger bugs. Like spiders? Spiders don't bother like me. Scarier bugs. Brooches or beetles or any kind beetles of beetles don't they don't bother me either. Things that like dark spaces, those are creepy bugs. Scorpions. Yeah, maybe. I'm not that worried about scorpions, but there's probably there's probably more dangerous bugs in a cave. Probably. Yeah. But more irritating bugs in a tree. Yeah. Well, because, I mean, oh. I'm worried about the irritating. Yeah. I was about to say like mosquitoes, but I think they'd be in both places. Oh. But see, that'd be the thing. Well, then I would want to keep the smoke. Cause, smoke in. <laughs> yeah. You know. Keep the mosquitoes away. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all right. So we agree. Cave's the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay okay well there you go another i think a good episode i'm feeling <laughs> i don't know i think i feel good about it yeah in the books right so in the books yeah so i hope you enjoyed the more serious part of today's discussion we appreciate you joining us and listening to episode 81 motivation we would like to thank our sponsor sherwin williams for their generous support of this episode Special thanks to our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast. If you like today's episode, please take the next 15 seconds and head over to your favorite podcast listening app and hit that subscribe or follow button so you can get deliriously hot new episodes automatically downloaded every two weeks. And while you're there, please consider leaving us a comment. And I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a five-star Kayser Totally Better Than Trees rating. <laughs> I made that one up on the spot. Nice. <laughs> Be sure to visit the original lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes, links, info, and photos from this glorious episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.